If you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation chapter 11, but let us pray this together before we start to get into it. Pray this with me. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Then I was giving a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloths. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the water to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that is symbolically called Sodom in Egypt where the Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some of the peoples um, and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet And a great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to God, to the God of heaven. You guys may be seated. All right, that's better, right? So, um, so as we pray that section of scripture, or as we read that section of scripture, as I first got into it this week, um, this is not the first text that when people say you're going to preach for the rest of your life, like you look at this text and you're like, yes, I get to preach this. In fact, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine and tell him that I was going to preach this, and he goes, "Good luck." And I read it to Mo and she goes, good luck. And so it's just one of those where it's just kind of, it's not, um, uh, there's probably a hundred different ideas for this text. I'm not going to say who's wrong or right. I don't know. In fact, the more we get into Revelation, like I've said, the more I have empathy for the left behind guys, because honestly, maybe like, I don't don't know, like there's a lot of symbolism here and, and there's a lot that it seems to sometimes mix between symbolism and like real life and real amount of days and maybe symbolic amount of days. And it's just one of those things where, um, honestly, the more I get into revelation, the more I have to wrestle with it, the more I have to like, just go, okay, God, what are you doing? What do you have for us? What, what is, um, you have us grace and mercy church here on a beautiful April afternoon 
in Revelation chapter 11. And so why this text on this day? So um, as we were doing this, I was, as I was praying about this this week and, and really kind of diving in deep and, and looking, at, looking at this text, my family and I were doing our Bible morning routine and this week, and we prayed part of Psalm 79. And it made me think of the passage that we just read in Revelation. It also reminded me that even if we didn't realize it at the time when we were in Psalm 79, um, that the prayer of Psalm 79 is answered in Revelation chapter 11, 1 through 13. And, and it, it, and I'm going to pray this over us in a minute, but it's interesting to me how we are in Revelation, but God had us as a church go through Psalms first and how often they intersect, how often the prayers of the Psalms are answered in Revelation. But let me pray Psalm 79 for us. Oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of heaven for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beast of earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and lay waste to his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpouring, outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before your eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you according to the great power. Preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors, the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever from generation to generation. We will recount your praise. I find this very, very interesting because the Psalms taught us to pray. They taught us to pray. And Revelation is teaching us to live out these prayers that we have prayed. And they allow us to see certain outcomes of our prayers, we, we are able to see that God does answer prayers that in the day to day, it might not look like it, but in the grand scheme of things, our prayers are answered. But then again, like we also get to see here that the prayer of Psalm 79 is not like a pleasant one. It's not just like uh, full of joy. It's a fairly violent call for repentance. It's an oddly vengeful prayer for somebody who's tasted the love of God. Who, who, and for those who don't uh, follow God, um, it seems weird that we would pray this way. Lord, strike them down. Do away with them. And the truth is, is that many of us, we don't like praying this way. We're a little uncomfortable, or some of us that are, 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 are super comfortable praying vengeful prayers, like that's, uh, you wonder if they ever loved grace to begin with. But, but we're a little bit uncomfortable with what happens uh, with these two witnesses, not just the um, middle part where they're killed by the beast, 
But just the fact that they're there in this city that's been destroyed and they are to stand up and sackcloths and ashes and preach. But we're also, it's a little bit uncomfortable realizing that it's, that this is what happens. Those who come to harm them have, they, there's fire that pours out of their mouth and destroys their enemies. The power to cause worldwide drought and famine is in their words, in their prayers. They have the power to turn water into blood so that people cannot drink water. And they have the, the, they have the power to strike the earth with any kind of plague. This is the power given to these witnesses. And again, we've seen these prayers in Psalms over and over and over. And again, sometimes we don't like uh, praying this way. And, and here's why. And I, I actually think it's okay to pray this way and let God kind of sort it out. But, but at the same time, with a heart that is attuned to His grace and His mercy. See, if we live into grace, and grace being unearned, right? Undeserved, like, I think of it this way. I've been trying to think of like a different way to say, say the word grace. Like, what does it mean? But it's surprising favor to God. Like, oh God, you smile on me? You know me? You love me? It's that surprising favor from God for no other reason than God just wants to bestow it on us. In that grace, when we live into that grace, we experience love like never before. We experience acceptance like we couldn't uh, have imagined possible on earth. We experience forgiveness for places we didn't even know we needed to apologize for yet. And we are given a new heart. We're given a new name. We're given a new family. We're given a new thoughts. In the miracle of miracles, God softens people's hearts and changes them. We are taught to love, even turn the other cheek, even walk the extra mile with our enemies, even to the point of death. We are taught to love, just like Jesus when he turned the other cheek. And just like Jesus, when he ran the extra mile straight to the cross, where they put him to death on trumped up charges, and out of the fear of these leaders, Jesus was crucified for us. But then there are prayers like Psalm 79, and there are answers like Revelation chapter 11. In this continuation, it's a continuation from last week's scene. John is told to measure the temple, but not its courts. This seems to be a holy place, not like we know Jesus is the holy place that we worship, but more like an earthly holy place, like a sacred place to, to um, God's kingdom. And we've seen over and over in scripture, this is the city Jerusalem. We see that the nations, the ones who seem to be the enemies of the things of God, all throughout Revelation, all throughout the, in fact, if we think about it, we can think about a number of times that Jerusalem has been destroyed. It hasn't been just once. It's not just, and it's not just coming again, but Jerusalem over and over again is destroyed by those who seem to be the enemies of the things of God. We've used, uh, I've used the words during this, this series of empires, that these empires, there's a host of of idols, there's a host of nations, there's a host of peoples that just don't care about the things of God, and it seems like no matter what happens, they're not going to. But these nations, these empires, will trample the holy place of God, giving no regard for its holy stature. It's interesting, after I wrote this sermon, Mo and I were talking on the way here, and um, some, of our, some of our family, they have tremendous amount of respect for holy places. 
Tremendous amount of respect for holy places. In fact, when I asked for Mo's hand in marriage, he, they said yes on one condition, that you don't get married in a church. Well, they didn't know that uh, Mo and I wanted to get married outside anyway. And it was a day like today, which was kind of cool. And it was, um, it was one of those things where we didn't want to get married in a church. So I made a like, oh, okay, you know, a, a begrudging like acceptance of that. But they gave reverence to holy place. And here we see even those who give, re- they, they say, I know that's your holy place and I'm going to trample it and defile it anyway. These nations are giving no regard. And for 42 months, that's three and a half years. And then we see God sends these two witnesses or two olive trees. Or, and that when these olive trees, by the way, produce fruit, they will create a type of anointing or maybe even olive oil that is refreshment. These are also called the two lampstands. And we, we see um, lampstands as witnesses, like the seven churches are witnesses of God. They're called lampstands. And the two witnesses stand before God and give witness for 1,260 days, which, by the way, is also 42 months or three and a half years. And I'm pretty good at math. And so three and a half divided by two is seven, which seven's the number of completion. You can go a million different directions with that. And that's why I have empathy for anybody that wants to write fiction based on this scripture. But that being said, I don't think all the numbers of days and months need to be read literally. I, I don't know if they are or not. We can't know for certain. And we don't need to pay, in my opinion today, we don't need to pay much heed to them um, to, unless the Holy Spirit puts it on our hearts. But I believe oftentimes these numbers and trying to figure out the dates and times have taken us off track. And like, like there's some sort of timetable that we're supposed to be a part of that we're trying to figure out and master. That, um, and I don't know if these apply to us or not, but I know what applies to us is that we're striving to live for Jesus. And the number here that matters to us is the number two. There's two witnesses. That's very important. It says in Deuteronomy that a charge cannot be brought against someone else unless there is two witnesses. Because it is less likely that two witnesses are going to lie. Jesus even bears witness to the importance of having two witnesses when the scribes and Pharisees tried to trap Jesus by saying that he is the only one to witness that he is the light of the world. And Jesus tells them, it's not just me bearing witness, but my Father in heaven is also bearing witness. It's important to have two witnesses. Symbolically, this means that truth has come. The two witnesses means that truth has come. And these prophets are trying to speak truth about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to these nations and these tribes and these peoples who have just trampled the outer courts of God. These are praying and prophesying witnesses, and we get to be like this as well. We are not just, um, we, we know not just from Scripture, but as we try to live for Jesus that um, Jesus has plenty of enemies. We can see this day in and day out. And by the way, when I say plenty of enemies, there are some enemies trampling it from within. And we can't tell because we're not God. We don't know their hearts. We don't know their motives. And then there's some people who are outside of the church that are trying to trample it as well. Some trampling the temples from the inside and some who are trampling it from the outside. Either way, the kingdom of God that we pray will come on earth as it is in heaven each and every week keeps clashing with the empires of this world. 
Because the kingdom of God has enemies, just as Jesus had enemies, just as we have enemies, just as these two witnesses had enemies. People have defiled and defiled the name of Jesus for a long time. But there are going to be witnesses to his goodness, to his grace, and to his love and forgiveness. Not only his love and forgiveness, but like the complete and changing nature of his love and forgiveness. Who are going to speak out about this? They're going to be say, I'm different. Why? Because God changed my heart. That's why I'm different. And they're going to be, and so we witness. And, and not only that, but if someone says, God changed me, and then somebody else says, wow, I can really see that change. There you have two witnesses going, yep, they're changed. And that points to God being good and his grace being real and his forgiveness being complete. But we who are going to speak about this, we witness. Not by fire pouring out of our, our mouths or our eyes or shutting up the water or turning water into blood, thank God. Like, we don't do that. But as we see in Romans 12, 18 through 21, we get to live peaceably, showing love and kindness to our enemy. And this is akin to fire coming out of one's mouth or eyes. It's heaping burning coals on his head. This is what Romans 12 says. If possible, so far as it depends with you, Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. If he is thirsty, what? Give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil but overcome evil with good. That's what scriptures tells us to do. And when we get to come, we get to overcome evil with good. And this shows us a different way of fighting. This shows us a completely different way of fighting. But um, then, then even maybe what this scene in Revelation chapter 11 depicts. But if you notice this, these two witnesses, they are, they are clothed, they... Um, there is a, the garb that they, they put on every day during this three and a half years is sackcloth. When sackcloth is worn, it is a sign of mourning and repentance. These two witnesses are like us to wear repentance. And repentance is a kindness that honestly, many cannot handle. And we get to live out of repentance in humility. And as we do this, as we live out repentance in humility, it heaps burning coals on the head of those who don't understand repentance. I believe that the power of these two witnesses that has come from the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that lives in us if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. And you know what we do? We repent. There is great, great power in repentance. And I love it because it follows the same kind of idea that is all throughout Scripture. Repentance looks like losing. It looks like, you, you, well, it is. It's saying, you're wrong. There's a different way. It looks like giving up. It looks like we're laying down our ability and the claim to, that we have to be right. And we turn from our wicked ways and walk away from them and walk in the way of Jesus. And we, as followers of Christ, get to wear repentance. We get to be a witness in the, this way. We get to amend our ways to look more like the ways of Jesus. 
we get to be wrong or in, in deed and motive and then confess with our mouths that we have been wrong and then live out by the power of the Holy Spirit a righteous and corrected life that God is trying to give us. And in this, there is great power as we turn from our wicked ways. Jesus never had to repent. Why? Because he's perfect, of course. And he was perfect because he knew we would not be. We miss the mark of perfection, whereas he did not. And in confessing, we know that our our hope is not crushed. It is not just humiliating to repent, but but in the power, but in repentance is the power to live for Jesus. And this is what we want as Christians. This is what we want as followers of Christ. We want Jesus' life in the Jesus way. That's what we're striving for by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Jesus who lived and preached repentance, and then he was put to death for it. He, he did this in perfect love for those he talked to. And those even who knew that they were hardening their hearts against him. Those who heard him put him to death. These two witnesses who lived and preached repentance here in Revelation uh, 11, although it, they look less loving than Jesus, right? Like, let's just be honest. They look less loving than Jesus, but even kindness and grace is a burning coal on the heads of those that look like them as they're living out repentance. And these witnesses, like Jesus, were mocked, defiled, and killed. There was even a celebration in their death and, and a deep respect a deep disrespect in their death. In the Middle Eastern cultures, you have to bury the body right away. Day one. They die, 24 hours, you have to bury the body. And you know what's interesting is I was talking to my friend who works in a funeral home. He says that this happens even during COVID. This, this idea within Middle Eastern cultures that live here in the United States, they found a way to bury their dead. Whereas like some cultures who don't uh, celebrate this, they uh, have to wait a lot longer to bury their dead than, than these who have this in their culture. Because it's a great sign of disrespect and dishonoring, not only to the person, but to the God that they serve to not bury their own right away. And these two witnesses very intentionally were left out in the open as a deep sign of disregard and disrespect for who they were and what they represented. And this was one of the most disrespectful acts in their culture that they could have allowed. Not only that, but there was not only did they leave them out, but there was celebration with eating and drinking and dancing and boasting that took place when these two witnesses fell and it looked like they were done like they were out but when we wear sackcloth when we wear sackcloth when we wear repentance we aren't treated much different to be honest not to the extent where uh jesus or these witnesses like we're not treated like that not not yet at least or i should say not here at least but we are struck down in different ways The life of Christ is constantly trying to be choked out of our lives by worries and cares of this world. There's much that causes us to lose focus and to wander away from Jesus. And much of the time, Christians look like defeated people. Prayers look like they're never going to be answered. And we're seen here and reminded here that that's not true. 
But still we get to die. We get to repent. But still there's God in the midst of it all. And God is the author of life. He alone has the ability to breathe life. And he breathed life into Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is not dead. He is alive. God breathed life into these two witnesses. And we too have God's breath of life in us. Allowing us to live in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From death to life. That is what we live over and over. From repentance comes resurrection. The Gospel of Matthew reports that Jesus said it this way. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with angels in glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So here's what we have. Our holy places will be defiled. They will be destroyed. And we get to be witnesses of God's glory and his grace, even in the midst of that defilement. Jesus is still witnessing. He's still testifying to us about his glory and his grace and his forgiveness. And it's unbelievable that we still get to be his witnesses. One of the most amazing things to me about this scripture is verse 13. After these witnesses are resurrected and taken up into heaven, there's a great earthquake that kills 700 people. But there are those who through the last chapters, if we look at this, the ones that are left on earth, they've survived the last few trumpets, the last few seals. They've not bowed down and worshiped Jesus or acknowledged God as the supreme being. And by the testimony of these witnesses, the fact that in my opinion, they so explicitly through repentance uh, point to the life, death and burial of Jesus And maybe that's why they didn't bury these witnesses because they're like, you're not even going to be like Jesus. You're not going to be like Jesus. We're not going to honor you. Like they honored Christ, but we're just going to dishonor Christ through you. Maybe that's why they weren't buried. But, and then Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven. If they were preaching the gospel, this is what they were preaching. If they were prophesying about the good news of Jesus, this is what they were preaching. They lived out repentance and they spoke about Jesus and they were killed for it, but they were also resurrected by it. Because of these witnesses, those who have not repented thus far on earth were terrified and gave glory for the first time to the God of heaven. In other words, they believed. They saw and they believed. Those who held out for so long through so many other things that were happening on earth, because of the Holy Spirit's use of these witnesses, there were those who repented and followed Jesus. And I find this unbelievable and amazing that God would even extend his love to them and his grace to them. But we can see that it is God who breathes life. It is Jesus who shows us life. And it is the Holy Spirit who calls us to continually live into this life. But we get to live a life of repentance. We get to seek first the kingdom of God, and learn the unforced rhythms of God's grace. And as we do this, we'll learn to rely more and more fully on Jesus. So my prayer for us this week has been very simple. 
Lord, let us be a praying and prophesy, prophesying people who witness about you through wearing repentance. So Jesus, may we be praying and prophesying witnesses who wear repentance. For your name's sake and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.